my Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In this meditation, I want to skip a little bit ahead to the coming feast of Christmas. It's not even Halloween yet, and uh, most of the Christmas ads haven't begun. But every, anyway, it's no harm for us to look at, at the Nativity of Christ and to learn, well, some of the lessons that we come, can learn, especially from the meditation of St. Maria in Holy Rosary on the birth of Christ. And I want to use that text for our prayer. He begins off by writing the following. A decree of Caesar Augustus has been proclaimed, ordering the whole world to be enrolled. For this purpose, every person must go to the city of his ancestors. Since Joseph is of the house and family of David, he goes with the Virgin Mary from Nazareth to the city called Bethlehem in Judea. Our Lady and St. Joseph, Our Lady heavily pregnant at this stage, they make that fairly long journey from their hometown of Nazareth in the north of Israel, right down, passing through Jerusalem and out the other side, because they're going to a little town to the south of Jerusalem, and that is Bethlehem, where Joseph's ancestors are from. And so he has to be enrolled there. And if you visit Bethlehem today, you see the great basilica, one, one of the few ancient basilicas that wasn't destroyed by the Persians at the beginning of the 7th century. And apparently they didn't destroy it because they, when they went in, the mosaics that they saw uh, inc included these mosaics of the wise men, the three wise men from the east, which you can see, still see today, uh, wearing trousers, which is very much a, a Persian uh, dress. And when they saw that, the invading Persians, uh, 600 years after the birth of Christ, they said, well, that's us, so let's not destroy this place. And thankfully, that basilica and the beautiful mosaics, which are still being restored, actually, um, was spared. And so you see these very beautiful ancient mosaics of the birth of Christ with these three Persian figures, complete with their pantaloons or trousers. So that's the basilica you can visit over the birthplace, over the traditional birthplace of Christ. And then you can still visit in the fields round about structures used by shepherds, again dug up by archaeologists of uh, little towers and so on that shepherds used to keep watch over their sheep. And so this is the scene where Our Lady and St. Saint jo Joseph go and there in this humble little cave or whatever it is that Jesus is to be born. Now, he is our God, as St. Rosemarie says, and in Bethlehem is born our God, Jesus Christ. And I think he uses that word our very deliberately, our God, as we can say in one of the acclamations, well, which is reserved apparently to the Irish acclamations after the consecration 
my Lord and my God, the words of Doubting Thomas when he meets Jesus after finally after the resurrection and his act of faith, my Lord and my God. When we see you, Jesus, in your swaddling clothes, one thing that kind of almost immediately springs to our mind is that you are mine. You have done this, made yourself so small, so inert, wrapped up. If you, or I don't think we've ever seen a child swaddled, probably. You see pictures of them. Um, and boy, it's, it's, it's being mummified virtually head to toe. Um, maybe chin to toe is a mummification. The poor little kid can't move, of course. And Jesus is mummified in his little swaddling clothes brought by Our Lady. But it kind of makes all the more dramatic the helplessness, the utter vulnerability of the child Jesus. And again, for you, for me, my Lord and my God, Jesus is allowing us to possess him. The funny thing, love is very possessive. I was very struck by this recently. I did a, a wedding and um, we went into the kind of an area beside the sacristy to sign the, the papers straight after the wedding. And um, and then when we'd done that, the, the bride in her beautiful dress and the, the groom all decked out, the, we were walking back towards the church and, and she said, jokingly, I hope, she said, husband, bring my bag. And um, uh, we, we all laughed, but there, there was something, it was a real declaration by her, you are my, you are my possession. It was very nice, actually. She was delighted. He is hers. She possesses him now. So she could say, husband, bring whatever it was, I don't know if it was a bag or something, but bring whatever it was, bring the papers or bring whatever. Um, you're mine. Now, he could have said, likewise, in kind, something similar possession but this is jesus's love for us to say well i'm your possession you can say my lord and my god and we have to and we really have to fall in love with jesus in a way that makes us want to possess him in particular in the eucharist because of course jesus's birth in bethlehem so prefigures the eucharist you i'm sure you've heard many times bethlehem means house of bread jesus is laid in a manger French, think of the word manger in French, to eat. It's an eating receptacle for, for animals. And there's other symbolism there um, of, of prefiguring the Eucharist. Our Lord is made to be possessed, but, but possessed in a very radical way of eating. St. Rosemary was struck by the fact that one of the kind of things that a mother might say to her child was, I could eat you up. Um, I could eat you with kisses or I could eat you up, which is kind of fair enough that possession in a certain sense wants to possess the beloved so much that, well, they could eat them. And obviously, well, it wouldn't be perhaps a good idea to eat your spouse, but certainly we can eat, we can eat God. You, Lord, have made yourself so, so possessable that you make us edible. You make, sorry, you make yourself edible for us. And, and, and that way that we really can possess, but in a certain sense, as St. Rosemary kind of saw, well, we should, our love should be so strong that we kind of would be saying that already, I love you so much, I could eat you up. That eating you is, would be quite right. And that is our Lord in, in the Eucharist, in the prefigured in Bethlehem, in the little house of bread on, uh, in a manger, saying, well, I, I hope you love me so much that you could eat me up. That is the way it has to be. 
that our Lord is, is so loved by us, so desired by us, that the Eucharist then, the Eucharist makes so much sense in those, in those terms. The Eucharist makes all the sense in the world. And, I, and almost, I mean, this is maybe kind of um, stretching it, but perhaps a person could have thought, perhaps Our Lady, maybe Our Lady could have thought, that seeing Our Lord in, 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 the, in the Incarnation, that maybe in his hidden life or maybe in his public life, perhaps Our Lady had a foretaste, a, a, a kind of an inkling that there would be something like the Eucharist because it would make so much sense that our Lord would give himself to us, each one of us, so so completely and so intimately, so individually. That could only be brought about by something like the Eucharist. So I wonder, I wonder, did Our Lady have a kind of inkling that our, our Lord would do something? Maybe Jesus said it very early on that he would do that. But it kind of, it is a kind of, um, almost like an ext- a logical extension of, of, of God making himself so, so easily possessed by us, coming down, small, small infant, tiny, so approachable, so easily to hold in, in our arms and pick up and kiss him and so on. Well, then, by extension, then the Eucharist. Now, St. Rosemary goes on in, in, in this consideration of this mystery. He goes on, there is no room at the inn. He is born in a stable. And his mother wraps him in swaddling cloths and lays him in a manger. There's no room. This echoes something that St. John tells us in the prologue of his gospel. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. There was no room at the inn. That's, I think, more than just a a simple little bit of information. I think there's some great, also a great symbolic value in that. The inn, which should have res- welcomed Jesus, have been delighted to have Christ there. And you can imagine, you know, without any any appreciation at, at all who, who Jesus was. What a thing for the the Son of God to be born in this building, this house, under these under this roof. But it was never to happen. They did not welcome him. And, and so there is that, that mysterious rejection. Rejection of Lord, in some cases, of course, in, in a very complete and radical way by some souls, but by all of us, to some degree, all of us, of course, for Our Lady, all of us are sinners. Um, and that, I don't think that means, you know, tiny little technical details. All of us have, uh, alive and well, in our hearts, the fomes peccati, the tendency towards sin, a certain, a certain, what they would call co-naturalness with sin. Sin comes kind of easy to us. Now, maybe not kind of dramatic things are going to land us in, in Manchoy prison, but other things that are more subtle, especially, especially, especially pride, just nestles there so, so naturally in our thoughts and our reactions and little pings of Envy if somebody kind of overshadows us or somebody's praise and and it just is so there and 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 so there is that and of course every sin is a rejection of Christ in one way or other Saint John is talking about us the world did not receive him all of us that's you and that's me in so far as uh, 
I don't want him. You know, he's competition, or um, there's no room for him here in this inn, which is my my life, um, my mind, uh, my valuable val- things I hold valuable, uh, my priorities. No, and and so you and I, we do that, and that is a great mystery. There's no room at the inn, and our Lord is pushed out, pushed out into a stable. St. Francis of Assisi, so the story goes, um, went around the, the village of, I suppose, Assisi, crying out, a love is not loved. He was kind of horrified by the thought that here's love made flesh, love incarnate. God is love, St. John tells us. And here God made flesh. Every cell in the body of Jesus is, is, is pure love. Everything is an expression of love, every action. Every tiny little thing that our Lord does is a, is a perfect manifestation of love. And that love is not loved. That we just say, no, thank you. I've got other, more important things to be doing. And all of us do that to some degree. And again, not just little technical things, some significant degree. And all of us are capable, this is a mystery, of doing that in a definitive way. Of actually, definitively saying with our life, no, I don't want uh, love in my life. I don't want love of God. I want self-love, and that's the only love I I understand. And that we could do that in a definitive, basically eternal way. That's a great mystery. I know none of us has guaranteed our salvation outside of a a particular revelation of of going to heaven, which is not the normal thing to receive that revelation. The children of Fatima received it, but I don't know who else might have received it. So we all we all have no have to know that is there is something there that is um, very very ready to to reject love that um, that you know that Saint Francis is kind of horrified by that just says well I I really don't don't want love going back to what uh, Saint Rosemaria says cold poverty I. Um, Joseph's little servant, how good Joseph is. He treats me like a father. He even forgives me if I take the child to my arms and spend hour after hour saying sweet and loving things to him. And I kiss him, you kiss him too, and I rock him in my arms and sing to him, and I call him King, Love, my God, my only one, my all. How beautiful is the child, and how short is the decade? What's very striking here is, is Saint Rosemaria describing his own prayer and, and in a kind of way that he's not embarrassed because obviously he's he's describing his own personal prayer out loud, really. That this is what he this is how he he envisages himself in, in Bethlehem, taking Jesus in his arms and kissing him and rocking him for hours and saying all these almost childish childish things to the infant Jesus. Now, of course, we do know that the young Saint Rosemaria did these kind of things in the sense that we know that he came across a little statuette of the infant Jesus in that convent of, of um, Spanish nuns in Madrid that he was looking after. He was their chaplain and then one Christmas uh, out came the little infant Jesus, the little statuette of the infant Jesus. Well, 
kind of tiny, a small little thing. Not really the custom that we have here in Ireland, but um, but anyway, certainly in Spain and Italy, they have the little bambino Jesu, which is a very beautiful thing. And he was he, he really did seem to be blown away by this because the nuns uh, clearly saw his huge affection for their little infant Jesus, the little statuette, and so they allowed him to bring it home and and we'll come bring bring it back but uh, but still th- that th- he was allowed to bring the little statue at home and and this is obviously what he did uh spending long long times in prayer with that little statuette in his arms presumably saying sweet and loving things to him now we might say you know well gosh uh, that's very hmm, difficult in the sense that there's a lot of heart and a lot of affection going in there and I I don't know if I could do that but I think we have to try I think we have to allow our hearts grow a little more tender and especially when we think of the infant Jesus that it would be you know this happens with kids the whole time you know you know grown men and fathers or others that, that when they encounter little children well, they, they're suddenly, suddenly down on their knees and, and going goo 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 and ga 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 and and, and Making them, putting themselves at the level of the little, the little child, and they kind of lose their kind of um, kind of seriousness or their uh, sense of maturity and so on, and and then their their little child playing with the little child. In a certain sense, we have to do that with with Jesus, and in general, I don't mean just at Christmas or or even just thinking about this, but in general with with our Lord, I think perhaps in a special way with Jesus in the Eucharist, that we do have to not to be afraid of being affectionate, not to be afraid of putting our heart in that. He, St. Maria, he would, um, with the little child, the infant Jesus statue, he would hold the child in his arms, sing and even dance with it, and he would say, I'm glad to see you as a small child because it makes me feel you need me. Lovely thing. Makes me feel you need me. Of course, that, that is something God has wanted in the incarnation, in making himself so small, so inert. Because certainly in Bethlehem, Jesus absolutely needed the care of our lady in St. Joseph. Our Lord would not have survived uh, ours without the, the care the protection, the feeding. Uh, he was totally, totally at their mercy, completely. And and, and I suppose Jesus is, is kind of wanting to place himself at our mercy in a tabernacle. Um, nobody else there, perhaps. Tabernacle of a church that we visit, nobody else there. Well, it's kind of there, like, I'm at your mercy. If you say kind and loving things to me, you'll be a consolation. Or you could just be very officious and not say anything, and, well, that's it. I'm not consoled, uh, and there's no warm words from me. And and our Lord wants to feel to to feel that He needs me. And it's something real, okay, mysterious, because Jesus is still God, and does God really need me? Well, certainly, some way to the incarnation, God does need me. He does need my affection. He does need my care my my words in, in my visits to him or my prayer in front of the Blessed Sacrament. It's a, it is a mystery. And it's a mystery, I suppose, the mind doesn't really penetrate, but the heart does. And the heart says, well, you know, like St. Rosemary there, and well, I can't work it out, but this is 
This is this follows on from the incarnation that Christ has done this. So it's good to ask ourselves, how affectionate am I with our Lord? How affectionate am I with him in my prayer? How affectionate am I especially in with our Lord in the Eucharist? And in a particular way when I receive him in Mass, at Holy Communion. How affectionate. Because, you know, it's a funny thing. We all, I suppose, do have the experience of being treated in a very officious manner. You know, maybe at times when we could have done with a smile or put it positively, we all have the, the experience of being treated in an affectionate manner in a way, perhaps just in a moment that was so gratifying for us, so helpful, that somebody, I don't know, they, they, the way they said something or a smile, even tiny little things. I mean, I think um, we all have that experience again with just a complete stranger in, in traffic or something, somebody who, 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 who gives us a wave or something, waves us out and gives us a friendly wave or a smile or something. These little things mean so much to us. And there's no reason for us to say they don't mean anything to Christ. I think they I think they do. That Christ is waiting for that bit of affection, kind, those loving words, um the affection, the affection treatment we give him in, in Mass and in the Eucharist. Because the other, the coldness is something significant. And another thing that allows us to think this is what Jesus says in the revelation of his sacred heart. So you might know that the whole history of devotion to the Sacred Heart goes back to the 17th century, when, especially in France, the the kind of coldness of, I suppose, Calvinism, essentially, was entering into Catholicism. And it was entering through people like the priest Jansen and his Jansenist movement, which was all very, well, I suppose, a little bit puritanical, um, rational, because we're beginning with the age of reason, where it was all about the, your head, all very rational, all very controlled, and so on. And and, and this was kind of taking root in 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 certainly in France that kind of approach. And our Lord appears, as we know, to M Margaret Mary Alacoque and John Eudes, um, similar time, and reveals His Sacred Heart to to us, to them. And, and this is what he said at one, one point, what, among the things that he said to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, see this heart that has loved men so much. Our Lord is showing her uh, a vision of his heart. And it spared itself nothing until it has exhausted itself and consumed itself in order to show them its love. I receive in return scarcely anything but ingratitude because of their irreverence and sacrilegious and because of the coldness and disdain they show me in this sacrament of love. They're very striking lines, really. Our Lord's showing her his heart, maybe the burning heart or whatever, and saying it spared itself nothing. In other words, our Lord gave everything, which obviously during his life on earth, during the passion in particular, but then 
in, in, in some way, uh, almost a more dramatic way, in his real presence in the Eucharist. So he is exhausted, as he says. He's exhausted. This heart has exhausted itself, consumed itself, in order to show them its love. So we could have no doubt. We just look at that. We look at our Lord's life on earth. We look at you, Lord, in the tabernacle and say, well, what more could you possibly have done? You couldn't have done more. The incarnation, we look at him in Bethlehem, all this, every every action, all these all these things that our Lord does are showing us, look, look how much I love you. But us in return, his love is, perhaps for the most part, unrequited. I receive in return scarcely anything but in gratitude. So this is from people who believe. And we believe a person who doesn't believe or never had their never introduced to the Blessed Sacrament or had it explained, okay, fair enough, they, they don't know. It's a very different thing. We who know, we who know, or at least we should know. We, we, we were taught and so on in school or by our parents. So we do know about the Blessed Sacrament. And yet, what do we give our Lord in, in response? Our Lord says, irreverence, irreverence and sacrilege. So that were that obviously they're very serious things. Sacrilege is very very serious. Obviously, so sacrilegious. I mean, we receive our Lord sacrilegiously. I mean, the bad Holy Communion, which which should be something you know. Saint Paul does does have those very very strong words. They're a bit chilling, you know. That the person who does that eat and eats and drinks condemnation unto themselves. You know, really very strong, almost without parallel in, in the New Testament. You are really doing the wrong thing if you if we receive our Lord badly or really we're not being getting scrupulous but still we really do have to say oh Lord may that be the last thing I would ever do because it's a sacrilege but also our irreverence you know that I don't know you know, my dress for mass uh, my posture my attention in mass you know the reverence in other words we're treating our treating our Lord reverently he is God after all but then also our Lord's mention of coldness and disdain towards me, that they show towards me in this sacrament of love. The Eucharist is a sacrament of love. Our Lord's incarnation is all um, motivated by love. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. All love. And again, you know, it's a, you know, the coldness, a cold response, a disdainful response. That God has done that. You know, I suppose sometimes we have a tiny experience of that. If you're you're very affectionate with somebody or you do them something, uh, you're you're even you, you you like them a lot and you'd like to win their friendship, and then it's like maybe a brick wall, you know, or a, you get a you get a grimace or something, you know, that's um that kind of puts you back in your box uh, and it's kind of very painful precisely because you have made yourself so vulnerable and in, in showing your affection and, and saying virtually, well, kind of, would you be my friend? And, and the answer is, oh, you must be joking, or nope, um, or whatever it might be, the coldness and disdain that, that we show to our Lord in this sacrament of love, in the, in the Eucharist. So let us ask, as we begin to finish up, let's ask Our Lady in particular to help us not to be afraid to be heartfelt. It's sentimental to some degree in our, in our love for Jesus. And sentiment is, is great in the right place. Obviously, we can be overly sentimental and so on. 
But there is the other extreme of the sentiment the heart is not involved and that we, we, we shy away from anything even vaguely sentimental. Whereas, again, St. Rosemary is not afraid at all about kissing him and rocking him in my arms, singing, singing to him, calling him, King, love, my God, my only one, my all. And there's a lot of sentiment there. So we shouldn't be so afraid of, of those sentiments. We're going to imagine Our Lady. Well, we can try to imagine Our Lady at this, uh, with, her, with her, our Lord in, in Bethlehem. Or, or similarly, with our Lord in, in Mass, in in wherever in Jerusalem or in in Ephesus at the hands of 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 uh, Saint John, what was that like? What was her affection like? What what would Our Lady have sent to to Jesus in her Holy Communions? So Mary, help us in our turn. Well, not to be afraid of affection, not to be afraid to console our Lord with our, con- our affection. We're not judging other people, but that but our Lord, for many many people, is shown disdain, coldness, even irreverence and sacrilege. And, and we do want to make up a little bit for that with our affection, with our warmth and our appreciation of his incarnation and of his being so so close to us in the Blessed Eucharist. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect my Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.